Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 77 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 20th of May 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 9. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. I invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This they do, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which we have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply of their want, that their abundance may also be a supply of your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Father, we thank you again today for this wonderful privilege that we have to be in your house to have your word, to know that your spirit that dwells within us is the one that is able to give us understanding, to speak to our hearts. Lord, because you know the heart of each individual here today, you know the need of each one. And Father, I pray, I pray that you would do the work needed in each of our hearts, that we may all in some way, somehow leave here today more like our Savior, more ready to be used of you in whatever capacity that you would see fit. Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us understanding. May we have the strength 
and the courage, whatever is required to be able to respond as you speak to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. A lot of things, a lot of ground to cover. I mentioned to you, of course, let me say that as we continue in our series on contending for the faith, today will be number 77 in that series, and it is part nine of the glorious church of Jesus Christ. We've got a few others to come concerning the church. We said as we look at the church of Jesus Christ, we were going to try to break it down into four basic areas, the definition, the design, the duty, and the destiny of that church. We got through the definition, and we're now into the design. And of course, as we look at the design, I did skip ahead. I said a couple of sermons because of our missions conference beginning next week. And as we're looking under the operation of a New Testament church in that design. And we said there are three things there, the foundation, the furtherance, and the finances. And the finances is what everybody always enjoys talking about and hearing about the most. So we wanted to jump straight ahead to that so that you didn't have to wait with great anticipation any longer. I said as we began last week, I reminded you, we've all been to the doctor for different things. And sometimes when you go into the doctor, and he's doing just an examination to make sure that, you know, you're still alive and your heart's beating and blood is flowing and all. Sometimes he starts squeezing and poking around and trying to find out why. Because if he hits an area and it hurts, and you say, ouch, what does that mean? I said it means one of two things. Either the doctor's poking too hard or there's something wrong. And I don't think you have to worry today about the great physician poking too hard. But sometimes... If it hurts, well, why are you going to the doctor in the first place if you don't want it fixed? You know, the simple truth is, is that many times, you know, the, 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 the areas that, that hurt, the areas that need to be sorted, we began to look and we said, you know, again, I make no bones up front. I don't think that the glorious church of Jesus Christ should be having to be supported by bake cells and car boot cells and everything else. God has a design and his design works. And his design is real. Now, we said as we began to look at that, of course, we wanted to, to look at the idea. I believe that the financing of God's church is what I have taught you in the past. And it's an area that we come back to at least once a year because the simple truth is we need reminding. We need refocusing. Why do we have a missions conference? Because we need to refocus. We need that time. Why do we ask you to make faith promise commitments for the coming year? Well, I can tell you that I'm going to show you in Scripture because it is biblical and because it works and because I can promise you this. If you don't make a commitment, it's going to be a whole lot easier for something to come along to where all of a sudden the Lord's work and that work of missions is going to be set aside. Sometimes we're afraid to make commitments to God. But I'm saying to you folks, sometimes we need to make commitments to God. So we're going to be looking at some things. And of course, we said that as we, as we look at this matter of finances, of giving within the local church, 
that I believe that there are three dimensions, just like, you know, now a lot of people pay extra to put on these funny looking glasses and watch the cinema in 3D. Why? Because it makes it come alive. It makes you feel like you're, you're right there. You're able to see the, the full picture is the idea behind it. I believe the Bible clearly gives us. Now, we began looking at one of those last week, and that first dimension, that first dimension, I said, and I reiterate, is a giving that is binding. It is the first fruits. It is what is called the tithe in Scripture. Now, I've had all kinds of questions from a whole lot of the things, and, and we can spend a whole lot of time. The, the bottom line, if you'll let me remind you this, folks, God doesn't do anything to hurt you. We began last week by looking at his wonderful gifts to us. The simple truth is our primary purpose in this life is that the work of Christ might be carried on through us. He does his work through the church. His church is financed by his people, not by the world, not by the tax pounds, not by anything else, but by God and his people. I showed you biblically that the tithe is not a thing of the law. Some people say, oh, that was just, first of all, remember, the tithe. If I say to you, now, now if, if, if I had some of my old funny-looking American money in my pocket, there is one coin in there that's called a quarter. And why is it called a quarter? Because it is 25 cents, which is one quarter of a dollar. It's always called a quarter because that is what it is. If I talk to you, we can talk about a quarter of chicken, which some of us like pretty good. Uh, you know, you can eat a quarter of chicken. Why is it a quarter of chicken? Because it is one-fourth of that whole chicken. We could go right down the line. Many things are called by what they are. A tithe means a tenth. Some think that, you know, once you got out of the Old Testament and the law, that a tithe meant something else. Folks, the meaning of the word never changed. A tithe means a tenth. Matter of fact, I showed you last week that the tithe didn't begin under the law. It began back with Abraham when God first called someone out to be his people, to be his called out people, which is what the church is. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, which the scripture says was a type of Christ. Under the law, the tithe was still there, had been there since God had first set up the nation, since he had first called out his people under the law. There were actually three tithes, three different tents. Two of those tents were given each year and one of them every third year. And we looked at all of those things. And we looked into the New Testament. And we were Jesus Christ himself. He commended the tithe. He told them they ought to pay their tithes. It's never ceased. Tithe still means the same thing. And we looked at Malachi and we said very simply this. There, there's only two choices, obey and disobey. Now, I tried to make something else clear here. You know, you're not any less a Christian because you don't pay your tithes. You're just a thieving Christian. <laughs> you're just a stealing Christian. And I said, if you're part of this church, you're a lying Christian too because <laughs> you promised to be faithful in your support of this church when you became a member. God says, he told you're stealing from me. You're thieves. How? In your tithes and your offerings. That's God's. Matter of fact, everything we have. Part of the problem is we get all personal and everything that we've got is ours. We worked for it. We deserve it. It's mine. 
It's all God's. He said, look, I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to lay it all out there. Fact is, you keep 90% of it to do the things you need to do. I only want you to take the 10% to put in to make sure that my work carries on. Truth, when we don't, when he doesn't get, that's the first fruits. That's what should come off the top before anything else. You know, the tax man, he gets his off the top. <laughs> Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God what is God's. His is the first fruits. It's always been the first fruits, not the leftovers, which is what he often gets. Now, you're not going to be any less a Christian. And I, I, you know, listen, I don't believe because you steal your tithes from God, he is so gracious and he's so loving, he's not going to send down a bolt of lightning out of heaven just to wipe you out of here because you didn't pay your tithes. No, we saw in Malachi the results. Number one, the Bible said God is wanting to raise the windows of heaven and just pour out blessings that you can't stand. But you keep pulling down the window. You say, no, it's okay, God. I'll just keep that 10%. I'll, I'll handle it myself. I don't need your blessings. You say, preacher, I would never say that. When you keep back the tithe, because he said there, prove me. Prove me. See if it doesn't work. See if I won't keep back the devourers, those things that would be expenses going out, if you're honest with your tithe. So anyway, that was last week. And if you, you know, if you really want, go back and listen to the whole sermon. It's on the, it's on, it's on the website. But you see, that's the first fruits. That's the first dimension. And you can't even get involved in the two that I'm going to give to you today until you're honest with your tithes. Because how can you give God something if you stole from him to give it to him in the first place? You've got to be honest with your tithes, folks. And I'm just saying, you know, we can rationalize a lot of things. I know. I've been there. I've tried to do it too. And I had to learn some lessons the hard way, just like lots of people do. And I'm not saying it to brag, but for many, many, many years now, I've never been in a position to where that I could take what belongs to God to meet my needs here. If things are tight, well, I need his blessings more than ever. Put God first. You say, Pastor, but this and but that. Look, I'm, I'm not going to love you any less. And guess what? God's not going to love you any less either. God's give you a formula. If you want to use your formula then just go ahead. God's still going to love you, and we're still going to love you. But if you want God's best, follow his pattern. He said, prove me. Are you proving him or are you not? There's a second dimension to giving. Once God has been given what is his, that tithe, that first fruits, that giving is binding. But the second bending, the second giving is benevolent. The first giving is binding. It is required. The second giving is benevolent. The first is the first fruits. The second is the free will offerings. We call them free will offerings. We call them love offerings. Well, you've got to give him what's his before you can even get involved in the second dimension. I want to give you a very simple, and I'm not going to dwell here because I'm never going to be able to get through to that exciting third dimension. But if you look with me into the book of Exodus, I believe a wonderful, beautiful example of what free will offerings are all about. Exodus chapter 35 begins here in verse 1. He says, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, 
a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. They were a little more serious about those things back then. Miss church, death penalty. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Listen, and Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. Now, what are they getting ready to do here? They're getting ready to build the tabernacle. Now, this has nothing to do. Remember, we looked at what the tithes were last week for the upkeep of the priests and the Levites, for the fellowship of the congregation itself, and for the benevolence of those that were in need. The tithes covered all of those things. Here, they're getting ready to build a building. They're going to build the tabernacle, the place where they're going to come together to worship God. The Bible says, the Lord said, let you bring an offering unto the Lord. All those that are of a willing heart. Now, you can start to read down through there, and boy, the verses 6 carrying on down. Man, they were carrying anything and everything you can imagine. It wasn't just their money. I mean, they were just bringing the stuff out of their houses, their, their belongings, anything they had that had value to it, they just kept bringing it. Notice what it says in verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing... That same thing again, whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. And they came both men and women, as many as were, what? Willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and jewels of gold, and every man that offered offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And it goes on down, look down at verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering. Unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Verse 31. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. We find that the work carries on. Now, as we go on down through there, we find that the working of the Tabernacle is going on, verse 5 in, in chapter 36, and they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded. This is every pastor's dream, that the offering bags are just filling over so much that they say, Preacher, they're just giving too much. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Every instance down through there. Folks, this was not their tithe. There was something that needed to be done for the Lord. The tabernacle needed to be built. So it's God's people. They didn't have to go out and finance it in the world, any of these things. God's people. And it wasn't just the leftover change that they had. 
They began bringing all the possessions out of their house and all these things that had value and they're bringing them in and time and time and time down through that passage you find those terms. They were of a willing heart. It was because they wanted to. It wasn't, oh no, not the preacher's asking for another special offering for something today. Oh, God's work. They had possessions, but God's work needed something. And they got so excited about giving to the Lord's work from a free will, from a willing heart that Moses had to restrain them and say, folks, hey, you've just, you've given too much. We got more than enough to build the tabernacle with stuff left over because that was their heart. Let me say to you today, and I say it lovingly, and I, folks, God, everything he gives us, he gives it for our good. You can sit there and you can get all messed up inside because, oh, man, he's talking about my money and I can't afford this and I want this. Well, that's fine. God will still love you. And I'm showing you how you can have the best. And I'll tell you what something else this shows you. What is it the Bible says about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's important to you? These people were doing this because they wanted to. God didn't say they had to. God hasn't said you have to. Simple truth is when there is a need, we take a free will offering, a love offering. That's what it is. It's for those that are willing, those that would desire to take part in it. I'm saying to you that's the second dimension of giving that is not binding like the tithe is, but it's something that is there that is benevolent, that is there to meet specific needs, that is there because somebody's heart has been touched. I could give you all kinds of illustrations this morning, but the simple truth is free will offerings will just prove what's important to us. It'll prove where our love really lies. What is it that we really want to spend our money on? What's more important to it? Is it the Lord and his work? Or it's the things I can buy for me? You know, you'll make that choice and you'll make that decision. Is it more important to please him or to satisfy the flesh? Uh, what we do with our money and our possessions and the things that we own will prove our love. will show what really matters to us. Uh, many examples in Scripture but I want to give you a third. You see, our mission conference begins next week. There's nothing about missions that God wants to hurt you. I'm going to tell you this. You've heard me say it before, and you've heard others in this church say it. You know, the simple truth is God has blessed us tremendously. In the physical, we had a building that was falling down around our ears that most people thought was crazy to even try to, to repair it. <laughs> God has blessed us. It's not extravagant, but we have a comfortable place to come and to meet God. And folks, we don't owe anybody a penny on it. Yes, there's work. We've got a work day Saturday, by the way. There's work that needs to be done. There's some water leaks that needs to be stopped. There's painting that needs to go on. There's all kinds of things, but God has blessed us tremendously. God has always met our needs. And I believe with all my heart, that's because God has always had a people here that had a willing heart that was outward looking, that it matters more rather than focusing upon 
that we need new carpet and we need new heating and we need new seats and we need all this, that it's more important that we need to get the gospel to the ends of the world. Folks, we can do without our chairs easier than we can do without our missionaries. We can do without a lot of things around here. Matter of fact, you can go to a lot of places in the world. They ain't got any chairs in their place. They don't even have a roof over their head. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. If they got a roof, they may not have any walls. We're spoiled. Yet we think we couldn't do without those things. I'm saying we can do without those a whole lot easier than we can do without getting missions to the end of the world. God has a plan for finances within his church. And it's not that anybody would be hurt, but that all would be blessed. The first one is binding. It is the first fruits. The second one is benevolent. It is the free will offering. But the third one, I want you to turn back to our reading for today. That third dimension, it's not binding. It's not just benevolent. It is beyond. It's beyond anything you can do. It's beyond your capabilities. It's getting beyond you into the realm of what God alone can do. I don't say this nastily. The simple truth is, is that very few Christians, especially in the Western world, where we are so blessed, where we have so much, very few Christians in our part of the world ever really get into we call it faith promise missions. Simple truth is most of us never really fully extend the free will offering part, the part we can do, whether it's out of an abundance or sacrificially, the parts that we can do because God's work's that important. We don't get beyond that to get into this faith promise realm that God alone can do. Third world countries, many times where they've got so much less, they're more apt to tap into God doing what he can do because they have nothing of their own to give. We have so much. We read our scriptures here a few moments ago, and I want you to, to notice here as we begin to look at this third dimension, you see, I would hope and pray and I can't do anything about this. And I've told you, you know, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to poke too hard. I've just given you the Bible. You want God's blessings poured out on you. You think that things are just too difficult and too hard. Hey, just because you pay your tithes doesn't mean you won't have financial problems. The problem is, and again, I don't say this to be nasty, folks, but most of, most of us... We don't really know what that is because we're tight because we can't make the payment on our beautiful homes that a part of the world doesn't even have or make the payment on our second car that uh, uh, is sitting out there. That doesn't mean we don't have needs. I'm just saying, folks, that's where we are, and I'm just as guilty as you. We live, we live in a world that most of the world knows nothing about. Prove God. Prove God. The thing is, is that when you do pay your tithes, and then, man, you're so in love with God, and God's work is, is so important to you that genuinely 
Just like we read here of the nation of Israel, when you're giving to God's needs that those needs can be filled and you're doing it willingly because you want to, you're privileged to have a part in the work of God. We could go into all kinds of other passages. I got news for you. You can't ever get so generous that you can outgive God. <laughs> I mean, he's going to give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You remember what our dear brother Rawls used to say so many times? He says, you know, he said, you give with a teaspoon, God's going to give back with a teaspoon. He's just going to give four times as much, you know. <laughs> you give with a shovel, God's going to give back with a shovel. He's just going to give four times as much. You get out the dump truck, God's going to give back with a dump truck. It's always going to be at least four times as much. You just can't outgive him. But we don't give, oh, man, I'm going to give this so that I can recoup so much more. You see, the heart stays on the giving. We give. God gives us so much that we just, we just want to give more. And he keeps blessing, and we just want to give more. Do you understand that it is totally utterly, completely impossible to run out of resources with God. It can't. You say, preacher, that don't make I know it doesn't make sense. I know that to the world, well, we got a chartered accountant sitting back there. I know that's not the advice they give to all those companies that they're trying to help make a profit. That's not the world's economics. That's God's economics, folks. We find that when you've really gotten that place to where you've done, you know, everybody. We could make a list of who's supposed to be the richest people in the world. Do you know that even those richest people in the world, they have a limit. They can give away everything they've got until they have absolutely nothing else left. You may be saying, preacher, you know, I'd love to. Man, I love these missionaries. I'd love to be able to do more. But I can't. I can't meet my needs where I am right now. Well, God's telling you how. Pay your tithes. And then sit down and work and figure out what you can do. And then get on your face before God. Because notice in these verses, the Macedonian church was being used as an example here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This isn't a theory. This was reality. This was what took place. This is, the Bible says there, a work of grace. It is only by God's grace that that church could accomplish what it did. Why? Because he went on to tell us in verse 2 that those Christians were facing a great trial of affliction. He says that they were in deep poverty. They weren't just struggling, folks. They were in deep poverty, and yet they're joyful. They're generous. They're so liberal in their giving. I mean, does that make sense? Man, they're in great affliction. Everything's going wrong. Everything's coming down upon them. They're in deep poverty. They don't have anything, and yet here they're getting excited and happy about being able to, to give something away to somebody else that has a need. They're not complaining. They're not saying, hey, look, I honestly can't afford anything more. No, matter of fact, in verse 3, the Bible says they had done everything to their power, everything that was within their own power, their own ability that they could do. But then it says there that 
They went on to do that which was beyond their power. It was beyond them. They did everything that they could. That was commendable. They did that. But they did that which was beyond anything that they could do. How does that make sense? God's grace. They were in fact, notice in verse 4, they were in their deep poverty, in all of their affliction, they were begging Paul to take the gift and to allow them to minister to his needs. Begging him, please, we want to help. Verse 5, he can only take place, notice there, when this people were willing to give themselves. To give themselves. You see, i got news for you. If God's really got all of you, that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Maybe God's got all of you except that, huh? If God's got all of you, that's not going to be a problem. He's got it all. He gives you the plan. You say, preacher, but I, you can practice what you want. You can do it the world's way. You can do it your way. You can hire your own chartered accountant if you want to to tell you how to do it. I'm just giving you God's plan. And if you see something different in the Bible, you come show me. Because, folks, this is exciting to me. It's exciting how that God, I know, I have proved him. I know that if I give him what's his, you say, but it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't. You don't have to prove him if you don't want to. You can be disobedient. Prove him. I know. I know that he can do that which is beyond anything that is possible within ourselves. He said in verse 6, that, that, that same grace, it wasn't just something that happened in Macedonia alone, but he tells them there in verse 6 that it's repeatable in their church as well. This can take place right here in the church at Corinth. Corinth was blessed in so many ways. They were doing so many things well, he commends them for, but he said they needed this other grace at work amongst them as well. They needed this one. Verse 8 not to be accomplished because of a commandment, but to prove the sincerity of their love. Verse 9 says that Jesus in his gift to us is still the greatest example of giving in all the world. That's what he gets. Where would you be if God had not loved you enough to give you the gift of his son? Where would you be for all of eternity, where would you be? And yet we honestly, honestly can look at what we have and where we are and say, no, I can't, I can't do that, Lord. I can't afford that. There's other things. There's other things. You see, verses 10 and 11 shows us that it was extremely important that they not just promise but that they perform that which was promised. Sometimes people have asked, Preacher, where, where did you come up with all this crazy stuff where you got, you call it faith promise and, and you got a card and you say it's not a pledge because you don't put your name on it anywhere, but you make a commitment to give a certain amount, not to the preacher, not even to the local church. We expect you to put your tithe in here to the work of missions around the world. 
I, year after year, I ask you earnestly. We don't bring the missionaries through here to get your emotions all hyped up so that you'll do something emotionally on the moment. We bring them through so that God can speak to our hearts and remind us of the importance. And I ask you year after year, why? That's the example we're given. I just got through reading it to you. They've made their promise a year before, and he's saying, now do what you promised to do. Perform it. It's not just something that we pull out of a mystery hat somewhere. This is an example that's given to us in Scripture. And so we ask you to do that. They had promised a year before what they were going to do. Some churches say, well, we don't like making those kind of promises. Things might happen. Things might happen. I guarantee you this. If you never attempt anything, you'll never accomplish anything. And you know what? God knows your heart. God's not asking you to do anything that you can't do. He makes that very clear. And you know, when we read there in the New Testament, some people try to take this and they try to take the tithe of the Old Testament. They try to bring it into the New Testament and say, well, no, now, now we're doing something that is depending upon what we have. Well, it's always dependent upon what you have. The tithe is dependent upon what you have, 10% of what you have. That never changed. This is not talking about the tithe. You can't read through that passage and take it in its context and make it say that. They'd done everything that they could do. This is something that is totally, completely beyond their power. This being done out of their deep poverty is something that they promised a year before, and now they're being commanded to do it. And so, yes, I unashamedly, because I will promise you, I don't know everything yet, almost. The only reason that's an almost is because I believe the rapture is close. <laughs> Because that's when it'll take place, folks. I don't know everything. But I have been around a little while. And I will tell you this. I've seen churches try to come up with all kinds of their own ideas and try to not do it God's way. And it never works as well. It never works as well. I can promise you this. You look at the churches that have done the most for missions, for the outreach of the Lord, I promise you over and over and over again, it's done through faith, promise, mission. You'll never do it much because every church within its tithes, within its offering, there comes a limit. There is a point that they can go to that they cannot go beyond. But I'm saying we serve a God and he shows us here how that we can go beyond ourselves in our giving that God will do through us what he will not give to us. Can he trust us? <laughs> without us closing our hand on it as it comes through us. We sang that great hymn earlier, channels only, blessed master. Channels only. Can God use us as a channel? They must be willing. God hasn't taken this of them so that they would be burdened, he said. But that amongst all God's people, eventually his work is going to be done. Your need will be met if you have a need through someone Somewhere. Notice what he says down in verse 24. He says, Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love 
and of our boasting on your behalf. They weren't bragging on themselves. Paul was using them as a testimony. Paul was using them. But he said, you prove your love. You prove where your heart's at. And then that's going to reinforce our testimony of, look what God is doing through his people over there. Amazing. Look down in chapter 9. He says, for his touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia and ready a year ago. And your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. That as I said, you may be ready. Lest haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as a covetousness. Listen, folks, we do this in a lot of ways. You know, he said they need to be encouraged. Let's not make a promise and then not fulfill it and be ashamed. So that's why we're trying to encourage you in this, to do what the Lord wants you to do. That's why we have mission reports week after week after week, that you can be encouraged, that you know our missionaries, that that, that ministry is a part of our ministry, that it's not just some conscience easer that's stuck up on the wall back there. It's a vital part of our ministry all the time. Find that he goes on, he says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You see, we got to get back. If it's hurting you, if it's hurting you to pay your tithe, if it's hurting you to give your free will offerings, if it's hurting you to even think about making a promise to God about what you're going to do in missions, well, what's God say here? Something's wrong according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God. I think the doctor might say you got heart problems. You know, all heart problems aren't deadly. I've had a scare. <laughs> they put me on medication that's supposed to help me not get that scare anymore. My little aspirin a day to keep that blood thin down, amen. Heart problem. That's where the problem is. It's not in doing it. It's in having the heart to do it. That's what we need fixed if we're struggling with it. It's the heart. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Do you really believe that God will meet your needs, that he'll give you everything that you need, that you'll be sufficient in all of it? As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything 
to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Can you believe that? Out of all that affliction and all that deep poverty, being able to have such a heart to give and for God's work to be carried on, that God just then blesses and meets your needs so sufficiently that, man, you're just praising God. Thank you, God, that I'm able to have a part in this. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. You want the saints' needs met? You want a happy God? That's what he's saying here. It's, it's not only going to supply the saint, but it's also going to cause those saints to be giving thanks to God for all that he's doing, which he deserves. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God, the gospel of Christ, for our liberal distribution unto them and to all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after... You, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. There's so many things that, that could be said, and we're always fighting the clock. I wish, you know, I, I, honestly, you take and you grasp, and you, and you could take and you could break down this faith promise. God only knows how many messages long I could make that in a series. <laughs> it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, I, I, I was part of church for years that I knew I was kind of supposed to pay my tithes. And I kind of had to learn that, and I sometimes did it better than other times, and finally came to a point where I realized that. And then I began, as these missionaries began to come through our church, and I began to pay attention. You know, there was something changed in my heart. I wanted to be able to have a part in what God was doing to them. I wanted to. It wasn't that I was having to say, like, oh, no, i got to do this. God's going to really be upset with me. No, it created within me, wow, this is exciting. I, I, I want to invest in this. I want to have a part in this, Michael. But then, and I, man, look, I was just as saved. I was a Christian. I was in a good church, but I'd still never in my life and I heard chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 2 Corinthians talk. And you can go back. You can find that uh, you find the same thing with uh, Solomon and other examples of faith promise in the Bible. But, man, this started, this started really getting exciting because I was paying my tithes. Man, I was excited about being able to give to the Lord's work and missions. Those were just free will offerings. But then I, wow, the Bible's teaching that, man, I can give beyond my wildest imagination. How strong is my faith? You say, preacher, you're crazy. Well, you can think so, but I'm happy crazy. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, praise God. I absolutely love it. Look with me over into chapter 10 and see what the Bible says. If you think I'm crazy, he says there, beginning in verse 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not what? You know, one of, the, one of the easiest traps for us to fall into is we can look around and we can always find somebody else 
that's more sinful than we are. That's got less faith than we've got. That don't go to church as much. They don't give as much. You know what I mean? The same thing with the churches, though. The churches can fall into that same trap. Well, look what we're doing for missions in comparison to that other church down the block down there. Hmm. We can feel real proud of ourselves, huh? Well, he's saying, hey, you better be careful about falling into that trap of comparing yourselves amongst yourselves. He says in verse 13, but we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached un not unto you, but we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors. Notice these next words, but having hope. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. When your faith is increased, we're going to be enlarged for what reason? Notice the next verse. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. We're not going to have to sit around and brag in what somebody else has done that we're trying to take credit for. He says, when your faith is increased. We're going to be enlarged to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. I'm saying take it in its context. That's what this is all about, that by our faith, God will do through us what we cannot do to get the gospel to the regions beyond. I didn't make that up. God said it. God gave us the plan. We can just choose to follow it or not follow it. Wow. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to hand. I like the next verse. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. But not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You can rationalize yourself and feel as good about yourself as you want to, but it's really what God thinks of us that matters. And see, you know the exciting thing about this? When we do it God's way, it rules out all this boasting that he's talking about there. It rules out all the us taking credit. Because, you see, the first dimension of giving, it's binding. It's the first fruits. It's the tithe. You obey, you disobey, there are no other options. It's that simple. You can decide to do what you want with it. The second dimension of giving, though, is that after that tithe is that it's benevolent. It's not binding. And it's not the first fruits. It's the free will offering that comes from a willing heart. But then we get into that third dimension of giving. It's not binding and it's not benevolent. We find that it's something that really is beyond. It's beyond anything that we can do. And it's called faith promise giving. It's that which people promise. 
by God's grace. And then we're encouraged to keep that promise, to do what we promised to do. When our faith is increased, the more faith we've got, <laughs> the more those are going to be enlarged, there's going to be more to be able to go to the regions beyond. I don't apologize to that for anybody, and I'll tell you this. Well, I thank God. I've never regretted a day in my life the fact that I learned that the first fruits were God's. I can promise you that don't mean I've not <laughs> never had another financial struggle since that day. No, I've had plenty. But I didn't take God's to meet mine. First fruits. I need his blessings. That's his. Don't want to rob and steal from my God. I'm, I've never regretted learning that lesson. I've never regretted learning about free will offerings and having a heart for God's work and being able to do what we can. And I want to tell you, all these years later, I'm not going to give you any amounts. I don't say it boasting or bragging. I can tell you this. If I had even thought when I first learned about faith promise and I first made my first faith promise commitment to missions, if I had even thought that God would allow and do through us what he does both in this church and our home church now, I probably would have had a heart attack and just they had to carry me out of the church. I don't say that, Brian. I'm just saying that God's not asking you to do what you can't do. What faith you have, if you don't exercise it, it'll never grow. It'll never get stronger. And it's not important what you're giving compared to the person beside you or the person on the other side of you or the preacher or the deacons or anybody else. He's warning us about it. It's got nothing to do with that. That's why you've got your own card. That's why you mark it on there. It's between you and God. When you give that to us, we're not going to send you a bill if you don't pay it next week. No, it's a commitment. It's a commitment that you're making to God's church, not our church, to his, the glorious church of Jesus Christ, for his work to be accomplished. I can promise you, I've never wished that I hadn't heard about it, that I hadn't learned about it. And you know what? You know what? The, the thing that saddens me the most today, I wonder if I'd learned about it sooner, maybe my faith would be a bit stronger, a bit further down the road now, and God would be accomplishing even more. Because I believe this, folks. God, God is still not limited. Sadly, I must say that your pastor's faith is. My faith only goes so far. I hope it will continue to grow and get stronger, and that I can trust God for more and more and more. But the limitations don't come with God. They come with us. There's faith promise slips on the table back there. I want to ask each and every one of you, I want you to take one with you, and I want you to pray earnestly over it. And I want you to realize, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to fill it out. You want to hand it back in. That's fine. That's fine. There's no name on it. We won't know who gives and who doesn't. We don't. We don't know who's making what promises and who isn't. But I'm asking you to try God's way. You see, the first thing is, if you're doing your tithes, first thing is, what? How important is the work of Christ to you? 
I'm not asking you to hurt you. I'm saying, how important is it? You should sit down and figure, well, I want to, I want to invest this much in missions because it's that important to me, what you can do. But when you've worked out what you can do, pray about what God wants to do. What does God want to do? You know, if he don't do it, don't worry about it, you know. I mean, he said he would. If he doesn't, he's not going to expect you to, to do your part. If he doesn't do his part, is he? I think you'll find he'll do his part if you'll do yours. And you fill out that commitment between you and God on your knees in prayer. You make that commitment to him. And then you endeavor as we see in these scriptures right here. Folks, God will bless you. And this is nothing in the preacher's pocket. <laughs> this is nothing in the church's pocket. What we're talking about here is the church's needs being met through that first dimension, the tithe. Through that second, that free will, that can just meet all kinds of needs within the church, outside the church, on the mission field. It's just done from the heart. But that faith promise, that's something that's beyond you. It's something that you can only get from God. And don't go making emotional promises that you haven't discussed with God, that he hasn't put upon your heart, that you're then going to turn around and not do. Don't make a promise that you don't intend to fulfill. That's why you need that time, earnest time with God before you make it. Father, we thank you today, Lord. We know that as we approach our missions conference again, Lord, that we move these sermons forward just a few weeks to allow them, Lord, to come in as we approach our missions conference next week. Lord, we do pray because, Lord, everything that you design, you design in a way that it works perfectly. And Lord, in the organization of the church, in the operation of the church, Lord, you have given us the means for it to be financed. Lord, we believe that we see these three dimensions within Scripture that we can be involved in. Lord, you know where everyone is here today. Lord, we just pray that you would work in hearts. Lord, I know that today has been a message that has been directed more to believers, but I would pray this, Lord, that if there's anyone here this morning, you'd help them to understand that everything that we're talking about today, everything that we are about everything that we do, the focus is for their salvation, that they would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here today that does not have that confidence, and Lord, if them realizing that as a focus of this church, well, that's the most important thing. That's what we're here for. I pray that you would speak to their hearts as only you can through the power of your Spirit. Lord, that they would, even this day before they leave here, they would come and see us. Let us take the Word of God and show them how that they can know that they're a child of God. And Lord, for every one of your children here today, Lord, particularly to those that are part of this local church, we just pray that you'd use your Word to show, to teach, to encourage, to challenge, to build us up, to help us be what you would have us to be. We don't want anybody here to hurt themselves, and we know that your plan works Lord, so many times it's not the faith but the fear that keeps us from putting it into practice. So I pray that you would do that work. It must begin in the heart that you would accomplish what you would desire to over this next year in the work of missions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.